Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlo of Laser's Edge Podcast. I'm Dave Deckard here with Marlo Ferguson. Marlo, how are you doing today? Uh, uh, it's not Marlo, Dave. What? No, that's definitely not Marlo's voice. Oh, say something. Oh, what a gorgeous voice. Just say more. Just tell me what you had for breakfast. I don't care. Uh, so uh, definitely not Marlo. It's Adrian Bernisich, also from Blazer's Edge. And uh, I'm talking to you from sunny Melbourne. Uh, we're getting ready for a nice hot Christmas. So if I understand things correctly, you are from Australia? That is correct. And you hit Marlowe upside the head with a didgeridoo and took his spot in the podcast here for a week. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> oh, well, actually, Marlowe had connection problems due to the blizzard we are currently having. He is in the Midwest. But we are proving that Blazer's Edge stretches not just across the country, but across the globe, underneath, looking up at a different set of stars, experiencing 80-degree Decembers, is Adrian and also an astute Blazer's observer. Glad to have you with us. Now, I must tell you that we might have been justified in giving Marlo the boot because he, and by the way, he's been correct most of the season, but when we talked last, last Thursday, he said the Blazers would go 4-0 and in their next four games. They lost to Dallas. They beat the Rockets, but then lost twice to Oklahoma City, going 1-3. and Instead of Christmas celebration, we have sad trombones. Adrian, what have you noticed about the last week? I mean, has anything struck you as particularly indicative about the way the Blazers are playing and why they've only won one game? Well, the losing is never fun, um, especially games where you can argue that they're probably the favorite, even though they're, they're playing a, they're in the middle of a six-game road trip. Uh, I can only imagine that they, they can't wait to get home. I did see last night they had some trouble getting into Denver with some blizzards and whatnot. But, um, look, I think this this team is where it was supposed to be at the start of the season. I think uh, our colleague Dan Morang said as long as they're over 500 by Christmas, uh, then then that's fine. And that's, they're, they're 100% going to be over 500 for Christmas, even if they lose tomorrow. Um Obviously, it's not as great as what it was uh, throughout the, the first part of the season, but I think this team has reverted to the mean, and I think um, putting the hardest part of the schedule behind them um, can only mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, with the return of Gary Payton too next week, as we learned earlier today, um, hopefully things are on the way up. Yeah, I mean, a couple things that I've noticed. I mean, Dame, Dame had a hard game that last one in Oklahoma City, and really in crunch time struggled just a little bit, although he got he got burned unfairly in the first Oklahoma City game, the one that was close uh, right down to the end, and Shai Gildas-Alexander sunk the baseline jumper. Uh, Dame actually beat uh, Dort a couple times off the drive and looked brilliant doing it, but he had a third drive where... Uh, Oklahoma City collapsed on him and he got stuffed and kind of turned the ball over. Uh, and then, of course, Gilgis Alexander didn't. He was being guarded by Justice Winslow on that final shot. And, you know, Justice is a good defender, but not necessarily the guy you want defending the opposing point guard when the point guard point guard is really hot. It, it pointed out a couple of different things. One, you don't want to be in close games against anybody, and the Blazers almost always are. And number two, you still don't have solid lockdown backcourt defenders. That may speak to your point about Gary Payton II 
and the need for him because you have to believe if he was in that game, he would have been defending Gildas Alexander rather than Winslow. Yeah, he probably would have been guarding Luka Doncic uh, a week ago as well. Um, it would have been either him or Grant. But, uh, but I mean, I don't want to say that Gary Payton is going to come back and save this team and lead them towards a title because that's just unrealistic. But over the past week, there, there, have, been, there have been lapses. There have been defensive lapses, especially off the bench. Um, and Gary is clearly going to come off the bench initially He's going to provide that that defensive um, uh, improvement to, to help guys like Shade and Sharp um, and and Trenton Watford kind of strengthen that that wall on the defensive side of the ball. But um, but look, yeah, I think I think it's important that that, that Gary come comes in and actually plays because obviously a lot of people have been um, negative or. or or not as optimistic about the chances of him returning. Obviously, today we, we, we heard that he is going to come back or hopefully going to come back next week. Um, but the, the team looks like it's it's gassed a little bit. Um, it, it ran really hard the first part of the season. Um, the tempo of the game was really, really fast. Um, obviously, some guys are carrying some injuries. We saw Winslow, obviously, limp off the court yesterday. I But from what we understand, he's been carrying a few things Jeremy Grant's been carrying a few things. Yusuf Nurkic has been carrying a few things. Um, I think there's not, there are only a couple of games next week. I think this team really needs a rest, uh, especially given the fact that they've played uh, almost half their their road games for the season, and it's not even January yet. Yeah, well, let's stay on that bench because it's not just defensive problems that they're having. The first game versus Oklahoma City, Portland's bench scored 26 points out of the 121 that the Blazers scored, uh, they shot 10 for 25 from the field, which is, that's that's not enough help there. Uh, the Dallas game that was a loss, uh, the bench played half the game, so their, their aggregate production was good. But that second Oklahoma City game, we have 9, 17, 28 points out of 98, which is a better percentage, but that's only because the starters went bonk. I mean, the bench didn't actually produce more, and they played more minutes. So, I mean, it's this bench is starting to show its weaknesses. At the beginning of the season, when everybody was fresh, it was scrappy, the Blazers were getting some breakaway points, uh, you know, it, it looked good. Now, all of a sudden, the bench is not producing offensively, which puts an enormous strain on the starters. And, as you say, they're starting to struggle defensively, the starters are getting tired. The bench just isn't enough to support them, or at least not enough for Chauncey Billups to, to rely on. And that's starting to be exposed as the season rolls along. When was the last time the Blazers had a had depth, though? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brains uh, over the past decade to, uh, to find a, a decent enough depth uh, on this team. Damian Lillard is used to carrying the offensive load here. Um, we all thought that this was the season the depth was going to improve. And, look, it probably has marginally, but as uh, as Joe Cronin always says, um, this team is not complete and further moves will have to be made over the next two months. Um, you can't rely on Trendon Watford to be scoring points. You can't rely on 19-year-old Shaden Sharp to be scoring points. Um, while Drew Eubanks possesses eons of hustle and, and energy, you can't expect... Drew Eubanks to be to be carrying that offensive load. More work needs to be done in reinforcing uh, this bench unit because we, we know the starters can score. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, I, I mean, I feel like I, I feel like I've gone back eight years and we're talking about Damien Wes Matthews, Nick, Nicola Batum, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Robin Lopez with a so-so bench. This is not a new problem for the Portland Trailblazers, um, but uh, which, which highlights the work that still needs to be done to improve this roster. Yeah, it's really interesting because the holes, and we knew they were there. It's just hard to see at the beginning of the season because everything gets thrown on the table, right? It's like all the puzzle pieces are out there unassembled. It's like, well, I have a thousand pieces. Looks like a puzzle. I just got to put it together. But as you start putting it together, you realize the holes in the picture and the pieces you don't have. And it's becoming more apparent that the Blazers have a fantastic top three, right? I mean, nearly unrivaled in the league as far as collective scoring power. I mean, of course, you you look at the Lakers and they have a good top three. You look at the Clippers and they have a top two and a half. Okay, so, you know, Milwaukee, I get it. But look, Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Jeremy Grant, you go, hey, three 20-point scorers and Lillard is darn near 30, you're good to go, right? You also have a lot of exciting players who would make, uh, let's say, 10 through 15. I mean, if you just had to fill five role, five slots from the players south of Grant, you would go, yeah, we can do that. But where it's getting mushy is right in the middle, right in that four through eight area. So Nurkic kind of inconsistent, uh, although I think he's played better now as the season's rolled along. He was really inconsistent at the beginning, but eh. I, I think he's. I think he's in shape now. I think he's actually played himself into a little bit of shape, which was which is crucial for a guy his size. Right. Uh, Josh Hart can't ask anything more of. He's doing fantastic, but is he the right guy? I mean, he has potential that's untapped. He's also a little small for his position. He's really become a good rebounder, but he can get overmatched defensively at the small forward position. And again, he's probably the ideal solution at shooting guard for a lot of teams, maybe not so much at small forward for the Blazers, even though, as Marlo and I have discussed, we like him more than we like almost any other trailblazer on this roster. I mean, he's great, but, you know, off and on with certain things. And then when you get to the high bench, it gets really mushy. I mean, Shaden Sharp, okay. Justin Winslow, it's done great. But can you run those guys night in and night out? And as you say, look, you're probably looking at Drew Eubanks next. Uh, Keon Johnson after him, boy, that's, you know, okay, we just had a drop-off. We need need kind of those middle players perhaps to provide more consistency at the at the lower starter and the higher bench positions. Blazers just don't have that. You could also argue that the Thunder are, are nothing but, I mean, aside from Shea, are nothing but middle-of-the-range players. They actually... That they don't have any any top line players outside of Shea, but they have so many players that meet that four to ten um, 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 bracket. Obviously, a lot of a lot of rookies and sophomore players there, but a lot of them have that ability to, to compete at that at that four to ten level, which is probably why uh, they 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 gave um, Portland such nightmares. And obviously, Portland weren't blown blown out at all. They were they were in both games right to the end and. Um, for whatever reason, they weren't be able they they weren't able to kind of deliver in the clutch, which is unlike this this team, especially especially a Damian Lillard team. But um, people are upset and rightly so that they lost to the Thunder on, on two occasions. It's hard to hard to do that. But the Thunder aren't a bad team. They're not a good team, but they're not a bad team. And, and I think a lot of teams are starting to realize this after playing the um, 
the Oklahoma City franchise this season. Yeah, and here's the thing. This brings up two points, one statement and one question for you. The statement is people forget that the Blazers are like the fourth or fifth youngest team in the league still. So some of these players, especially the bench players, are still developing, right? So you're not going to get that consistent production. But it also brings up the question, okay, how do you go forward from here? Do you think the top three and the bottom is good enough to where if you fill the middle, you can make a run for a title? So you try to win now. Or do you lean into, well, you know, they are young and developing. And you, you know, you might trade away some of those middle assets that are more veteran in order to, you know, build for the future. I'm not sure what the right answer to that is. I, neither do I, and obviously it also depends on what which players you are bringing in to replace that forward or to to, to reinforce that four to ten range. Um, before the start of the season, um, the Blazers were clearly in two timelines, and that hasn't changed. You've got your twenty-five plus, and your Lillards and Grants and Nurkic's, and you've got your Shaden Sharps. And I guess the Blazers want to have their pioneer too, um, and I don't think they've made a they've made a, a clear decision and. I, I don't think this year is particularly important to the Blazers while they they want to win as many games as they can. Um, they, they're they still kind of – they're not trading Shaden Sharp, which means if you're not trading Shaden Sharp, you still have an eye on the future. And um, as we get closer to, to the February 9 deadline, uh, we'll wait to see whether Cronin is prepared to trade that um, – that that will remove the protections on on that Chicago pick is doing that means you really have to win as many games as you can but in doing so you're able to trade those future assets and bring in those players that could potentially help you win in 22-23 um and and going forward but it, as long as Shaden Sharp is on this roster there has to be a long-term view um or a, a long-term um element to the way you build this team well and there are really two assets i mean besides sharp if you if they wanted to move sharp for help that would probably be the quickest way but i don't see any way they do that right so there are two possibilities one you've mentioned removing the protection on the chicago pick but if you do that so that you can trade future draft picks for help you better get that right because the nightmare is the Blazers are three losses away from third in the West and three losses away from like 13 in the West and 13 is not a playoff and where they sit by the way is in the play in. Right? So if you don't make the playoffs and you have a lottery pick and you have a generational center on the line and you just removed your protection on your pick in order to win this season and don't, that's um, a comedy of errors. That is huge. Now, can they get, you know, Wemby? I don't think so. But you don't even want to be in that position. You know what I mean? You don't want to. That's, you've got to gulp twice before you casually remove those Chicago pick or the protection on the Chicago pick. Here's the other thing. Josh Hart. He's the one who's out there because of his contract. He can opt out. And I've, I've maintained since the Blazers got him that I'd be pretty darn surprised if he keeps his current contract in the next season. It's only 13 million. Okay. Anthony Simons is making twice that. Okay. Yusuf Nurkic is making more than that. Josh Hart's got to think that he can get a raise. 
uh, and he's proving he can do that. I don't think he stays without extra money. Uh, I don't think the Blazers can pay him because they can't luxury tax for a team that's not a really high contender. So if if they have to trade Hart, that's going to show what they're doing. Do they trade him to get young and get assets, or do they trade him to get more help? I mean, I think regardless of Hart's situation, they're going to end up in the luxury tax next season um, because they are going to – I mean, the – 99% sure they are going to extend Grant and you've got Lillard and you've got Simons and you've got Nurkic and then, I mean, Nas Little's getting a little bit of a rise. But I think in order to make this team better, you've got you've got two or three real key factors. That Josh Hart contract, because Josh Hart, while he is limited on the Blazers in playing the, the starting three, he is a player that every other team wants. He plays hard. He can do a little bit of everything. He, he's shooting. He's not shooting as much from long range this year, but he does so much for. for he could he could adapt to any situation. You've got those picks. If you do remove the protections, you've got those picks, and you've got your Justice Winslow, Nazir Little, Keon Johnson type players. They're your tools um, leading into the February nine deadline that you can use to improve this roster. Um, because the way this this payroll is set up, the Blazers are going back to the luxury tax, whether they like it or not. Um, I think I think it, it's a foregone conclusion. They could probably duck it this year. They're currently a, a few thousand below it, but I think uh, I would not. I, I would be reluctant to go into the luxury tax with the current team. You need to make improvements to the current team, and the only way to do that is to trade assets like Josh Hart and draft picks to bring in better players and fill in that four to 10 range. Yeah. Well, the question would be, I mean, yes, they're going to be luxury tax, but how far, you know, yeah. if they plan to retain Hart, in other words, he opts out and they pay him 20 million. Okay. Now, I mean, you're talking serious change uh, because for, for those who don't know, and I think most listeners probably do, but the luxury tax is graded. In other words, if you're between zero and five million over, it's one penalty and five and 10 or whatever it is, 10 and 20, and over 20 million over, it gets really absorb, exorbitant. It's, it ends up being at the top end like five times the contract that you pay. And the problem is not just Hart's contract. The problem is pushing into that upper zone to where now you want to go get a $2 million player and that player in effect costs you $10 million. That's that you can't operate financially that way, especially if you're Portland. And it really does end up limiting the future moves that you can make. Now you can go that high. Brooklyn has the warriors have, but Brooklyn did it for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, and, fully expected to contend, Golden State Warriors are winning championships. So that's when you go that high. For for them to keep heart, there's a huge burden of proof there. I just don't think it's going to happen. But the question is, of course, now, Hart is one of those four to, to eight players, right? Fourth position in the rotation down to eighth. So you're losing the best guy you have in that weakest section that you're trying to help. Who are you going to bring in who's better? I suppose the answer might be a real small forward or a small forward with a more defined skill set. One wonders if, think, you, think, if Nurkic is untouchable yeah. in this scenario too. Go ahead. Well, I, I think what we've learned from what the Blazers have done over the past 10 months is 
Ability is great, but fit is probably more important. While trading away CJ and Norman and Roko might have been kind of seen as, uh, for what they brought back, might have been seen as uh, losing or downgrading, they actually brought in players that made sense. So I'm not saying Josh Hart doesn't make sense on this current Blazers team, but you're right. Trading Josh Hart might get you that six, seven, six, eight small forward that you've been chasing. It might get you uh, Nurkic's backup, uh, uh, someone who can play uh, seven foot like a Mobamba, um, who can play, who can stretch the floor and also play a bit of defense. Um, you, you're right. The, uh, Lillard, Simons, and Grant um, should be the core. And obviously, people are a bit frustrated with Simons at the moment. The guy is 23, uh, and he's still learning. We need to. I know, I know it's it's a terrible word, but the word patience needs to be needs to be kind of exercised here. Um, but I think, yeah, as I said before, I don't. Uh, while ability is important, I think fit is crucial for this team because at the end of the day, this team plays around Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Jeremy Grant, and we need the right pieces around them. It's what the San, San Antonio Spurs did for so long. It's what the Warriors have done for so long. You need players that make sense around your star players. Now, I'm a Nasir Little believer. I think he could fill in at small forward if he's healthy. I, I wouldn't discount that the Blazers, if they're running hard there, they could probably run sharp there for at least limited duty. Uh, those are two exciting young guys who could be a one-two punch at the three position. Uh, you know, Gary Payton the second has played some small forward as well in real small lineups. I mean, look, they're cobbling together things with Hart anyway. I, I love Hart, but cobbled together with Hart or cobbled together with those other three and then someone else significant bolstering the center position or whatever, that might actually in the long run bring more depth or more useful depth than they have right now. I have no doubt that Sharp can play the small forward. He can't play it right now. Um, he's as, I mean, from what I've seen, he's as skinny as anything. Um, he's six five or six six. He, look, he could still be growing, um, but he could, he he, if he if he fulfills seventy percent of the prophecy that that came with him at the draft. <laughs> Sorry to stop you, but like it's like a fantasy novel. This is the prophesied one. This is well, the same. I mean, yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> At the draft, all we had was mystery and hearsay and and Schmitz's kind of review on on what Shaden was. If Shaden can grow a little bit and be yeah, be seventy percent of what people were, t- were saying he was, he is a starting small forward in this league. Um, but that's not helping this team right now. Um, and look, Nazir Little, I love I love Nas. Um, I I just I feel so sorry for the guy. He just. He can't get his body right, and it's the way he plays as well. He does throw his body around, which means that he is more susceptible to picking up injuries like he has. Um, I don't know whether the answer at small forward is currently on the roster. It could be sharp. Um, I don't know whether the answer at centre is currently on the roster um, with the up-and-down play we've seen from Yusuf. But um, I, I don't envy Joe Cronin, but I have I – have, uh, I'm confident in his ability to uh, competently build this roster. I just, I'm just trying to, when, when I get frustrated with a loss or two losses, as we saw in Oklahoma City, I try and exercise that patience and knowing that this this team is not a finished product. 
this team isn't isn't the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks, which essentially have their rosters that aren't going to compete for a championship in June. This team is still in production, and we just need to be cognizant of that. Yeah, and it's so hard because expectations got sent through the roof with that start. Yep. And, you know, I, I I feel like I should have known better. I'm not about the expectations, but about, like, a 10-4 start was unprecedented, unheard of, and full marks to them. But it's one of the lessons that you forget when things have been the same for the team all the damn time for most of a decade. And then it goes into utter chaos because you have that season we had last year. So we have no, you know, we have either utter predictability or no tracking at all. But here's the lesson that we used to know. The first 20 games in the NBA are unpredictable. Literally anything can happen. And if you're going to play tough teams, it's usually pretty good to play them at the very beginning of the season because weird things happen. And it feels like the roulette wheel just spun black, you know, 10 times for the Blazers in the first 14 games, which I'd say shouldn't happen, but kind of did. And great. But unfortunately, you can't walk away with your winnings there. You have to keep putting them back on the table. And that wheel's still spinning. And they're coming back to average now. But the expectation of what you thought, thought you had haunts them. The front office but, can't yeah, I mean, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about that exact thing a couple of weeks ago. Did, uh, the, the fact that, that that first three weeks really kind of, I mean, I was excited. I, I, I was I was talking with um, with Steve DeWild, who, who also, who's also on Blazers Edge, and we were both saying, wow, they don't even have Gary Payton yet, and they're winning all these games. What happens when Gary Payton comes back? Um this team this can win a title. I'm booking my flights to Portland, leaving my wife and infant child behind so I can I can I can watch them win a title in Portland. Um I I clearly got ahead of myself. I didn't I didn't account for what reality has installed and the reality tells us that a team, an imperfect team, will always come back to the mean and more work needs to be done. And I think I think a lot of fans are finding it difficult to kind of come to that conclusion. Well, and the front office cannot fall prey to this, right? And, and to his credit, I think Joe Cronin didn't, even when they were... So look, in the past regime, when Neil Olshay was here, you would hear from Neil Olshay when they were hot and he would go silent when they lost, right? Cronin was pretty silent through that first bit. And then... Afterwards, when he did speak, it's just like, yeah, well, I mean, good job. We got work to do, right? And it's like, yep. yes, yes, that's correct. And I wonder I wonder if it's in the front office's mind yet that this is a viable team. And I wouldn't be surprised if the answer is still kind of not. You know, it's kind of, it, it's not quite there. It looks good. It's entertaining. Those boxes are checked. Damian Lillard, fantastic. Check. Shaden Sharp, exciting. Check. Still don't have the framework to take full advantage of all that. I would be concerned if if they did consider it a viable product. I would be... I, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about Neil O'Shea um, a lot because we all, we, all, we all know about Neil and what he did for, for a decade, but I... I I'd, I'd like to think that this current front office is a little bit more in touch with reality and is self-aware. And in the times that Joe Cronin has spoken, 
Um, I think he's a he, he's a pretty smart guy and he's he's pretty self aware. And I think, um, I mean, he said it himself. This team isn't good enough. He said it on uh, the Jack Ramsey's a couple months ago. This team is not good enough. Uh, we haven't pulled put all our chips in yet. And obviously, putting in all our chips means probably at some point if they don't give up the uh, Chicago pick next year, they're going to have to remove protections on it at some point, and they're going to have to they're going to have to move chips in. Um, for a player. I don't think he's stupid. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think he, losing two games in Oklahoma City are going to make him kind of pick up the phone and, 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 and make silly moves to improve the roster now. But I have no doubt that he thinks that his work is not finished and there are a lot of hard yards and a lot of difficult phone calls that he has to make, um, not only over the next two months, but over the next two years to, to get this team to where it should be because the, the 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 goal at the end of the day should be a championship. And I think for a decade here, we were content with mediocrity. And I think fans got used to being content with mediocrity and we allowed the good teams to win championships uh, as long as we were making the playoffs regardless of what happened in those playoffs. So um, I have much more confidence in the current incarnation of the Blazers front office. Well, and... If that is true, then I think we've answered some of our own questions. If you don't believe this team is ready to contend now, it makes no sense to keep Hart through the pro season just to watch him walk. Unless, And also, it makes no sense to pay a fortune to keep him and have essentially the same team. So, I mean, we're, we're where we were at the beginning of the season. He's likely to be traded before February. Uh, you start asking questions about Nurkic. They just re-signed him, but doesn't mean he can't be a trade piece. Uh, I think in some ways you start asking questions about Simons too, a little bit, depending on what you think he can bring you on the market. And like you, I am high. Shame, shame on you. Shame on you, Dave. Shame on you. Well, I'm high on him because his three-point shooting is an asset that is phenomenal. Yeah. And the way he yeah. can produce offense is phenomenal. And you know what? If Lillard weren't on this team, everyone would be going, this guy is the next guy. This guy is, you know, as good as Gilgis Alexander or a lot of other people that you go, wow, wish we had him. He's overshadowed a bit by Lillard, still learning how to play with him. But assuming Lillard's going to stay, which we've been through two years of debating that, so we'll just assume he's, he's with the team. You start asking, okay, what if a super premium piece costs you your starting shooting guard? You know, it's not an impossible scenario. Oh, absolutely not. And I think, I think, yeah, it depends on the player. Um, and I can't even think of the player right now. I mean, short of Giannis Antetokounmpo, I can't, I think, can't think of the player now. Look, and just, just touching on Nurkic, that, that, that contract they gave was exorbitant, but I think that contract will come in handy if they need to match salary with one of those big players down the, the track. Um, the other, obviously that, that player isn't a center, then they've got another headache, but I, I think Nurkic's contract after January 15 helps this team um, helps this team match salary for a player that they really are interested in. But obviously that remains to be seen. Yeah, 100%. And what's nice about that contract is it is flexible. It doesn't cost you a fortune, but it is movable. That said, the most likely move is always no move because trades are actually hard to make in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And particularly when you have some undefined stuff in Portland's repertoire. I mean, is there 
is there the player who's going to make the difference? Yeah, that player would be awfully hard to get. <laughs> so they may still keep with some incremental moves. And, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed that they are going to make a move. But if they do, you're probably, you're definitely looking at Hart, as you say, Justice Winslow, definite possibility. I think you go up to Nurkic as a C-level possibility, not not real hot, but not completely cold. Simons is a remote possibility, but I think still in the uh, ballpark. Anything lower than Winslow, and Winslow, by the way, is just because of his salary. I think actually anything lower than Hart only brings you marginal value and is probably just mm. used to make salaries match. Mm. Uh, yeah, just just finally, on, just 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 on uh, that point as well. Whenever I whenever I get a bit down on the, the way the Blazers are playing. I imagine this team with uh, CJ, Norm and Cove from last year and I feel a whole lot better. Um, so um, it could be worse. That's that's how I justify it to myself as well. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's an interesting point, like a macro point. The Blazers actually traded away a lot of veterans that had talent. In fact, you remember how they got roasted for that Clippers trade. But they ended up with you know, just as much talent, almost, and they have some veterans and a lot of young guys. They didn't move forward, I don't think, at least not yet, but they certainly didn't move backwards, and they have, I think, somewhat more flexibility and a little more attractive trade pieces, at least individually. So I think that they're, I still think Cronin has done a good job. I just think it's a multi-step job, and there haven't been time there hasn't been time to take all the steps. And, and, and just to that, I um, I was listening to to two, I think it was Kevin O'Connor and Bill Simmons on two separate podcasts this week, and they were both saying, I think, about Toronto and Chicago, um, why don't they go the Portland Trailblazers route where they, they suck for a year and they're able to kind of retool their roster? Joe Cronin may have very well created a way to have built a team in, 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 in less than a year. If, if national pundits... Are referring to the Portland method, then there's there's got to be some some merit to it. I mean, obviously, people from other parts of the country are picking up on what the Blazers have done and are appreciative of it. If they wish to suck for a year, I have a small forward and a center that I could trade them for Pascal Siakam, and mm. uh, you know that that would probably cause them to suck for a year. And, uh, you know, they can make use of both of those. Yeah. Okay, so they have Van Fleet. They have uh, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, they have Josh Hart. They have Yusuf Nurkic. And they have uh, Scotty Barnes, right? That's not a terrible lineup. And then you have a lottery pick. There you go. Okay, Toronto, we've got did, this. Did you have OG in that picture as well? Oh, Or is yeah. OG now in Portland? No, they have him too. So they're going yeah. to be all right with that. Okay, we've got our deal now. We had, the the Dave and Adrian show has now come up with the perfect solution for all parties involved. All the Blazers would need to do then would be to get a center somewhere. And he's making the call to Masai Ujiri. It's not me. I don't want to deal with that guy. He's ruthless from all reports. I do not want to deal with Masai Ujiri. Yeah, but you know, come on, uh, Pascal Siakam's had enough years. He's won a championship there. They don't need him anymore. Come on, it's you know Josh Hart. <laughs> Josh Hart does a lot of things. He's a Swiss Army knife. Just, just... Just will it into existence. Exactly. And and use of Nurkic. Who doesn't like Nurk? I mean, Nurk fever. It warms up 
Canada. I mean, it's cold up there. It can, it can be done. All right, before we depart, uh, the Blazers only play twice. I always ask Marlo for his predictions. He is almost always right. Last week, wait a minute here now. As we said, last week he was totally wrong, said 4-0, oh, they're 1-3, and all of a sudden he has connection problems? Hmm. <laughs> so we're going to make it on, easy on you, Adrian. Uh, they play tomorrow at Denver. By the time people hear this, that game will have been completed. And then they play Monday, the day after Christmas, versus Charlotte at home. Charlotte has won like two games all season. Uh, so uh, what's your prediction there? I mean, for both of uh, So I, I don't think they win in Denver, um, but I'm happy I'm happy if they prove me wrong. I wouldn't be riding off the Charlotte Hornets, who just got LaMelo Ball back. Um, and look, Gordon Hayward is... I'm not sure. It might be one of those nights where he's not playing. They're not as bad as what they were, but I would expect the Blazers to win against Charlotte. Um, are, we, are we talking in the Golden State game, or is that too far away? That is uh, Friday. Marlowe will be back before then, so we can't. Okay. We can't right, well, I won't touch on that one. Yeah. So one and one. Okay, I have to say something different, so I will say that they surprised Denver after this crappy road trip. Now this is old Blazers more than new Blazers, but. Remember Damian Lillard's Blazers, every time they stink and you write them off, they bounce back with an impossible feat and it sends them on a run. Every time they're soaring high and you think they can't lose, they lose six out of eight. So we've seen the <laughs> latter part already this year. So I will say two and O oh just to be different. And then we will see what happens. Uh, if you are right, I will owe you an Australian beer, which comes in like rain barrels, right? As I understand it. In what? Rain barrels, like huge, like... You have to drink like beers oh, with like two hands. No, right? no, no. We we have our we have our bottles and our cans just like you guys do over there. Really? It's all the same. It's you have same. advanced that yeah. far, huh? Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. We we're getting there. We're getting closer. Oh. Well, I mean, we uh we have pretty good opera houses over here. Have you heard of those? Yeah, but that's Sydney. Uh, Melbourne Mel Melbourneians don't want to talk about Sydney. There's a, there's a rivalry going on there. So oh, we yeah. have like food and food and sport and culture down here. So that's what we're we're famous for. Oh, okay. So what what kind of sport is popular in Melbourne? Who should we root for? Well, Melbourne is the home of sport in Australia. I'll just uh, I'll just say that. So we have Australian rules. Uh, many of you probably aren't aware of it. Um, some of you do. It's uh, I mean, it's, it's really hard to explain. The best thing to do is Google it. Uh, but it's an oval-shaped ground and uh, a lot of guys, 36 guys running around uh, hitting each other without pads. So that's that's probably the best uh, best way to describe it. We've got cricket. We've got basketball, although it's, not, it's nowhere near as good as the NBA. We've got uh, in the northern states, we have rugby league and rugby union. We have soccer. We have cricket in the summer. So we're not short on sport. That's good. And you have like killer jellyfish that basically eat you, right? Up north, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't go swimming up north in summer. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. This is what I know about Australia. I only know stereotypes. So we'll have to have Yeah, you I mean on. a lot of people think we have a lot of people think we have kangaroos in the backyard and snakes and spiders killing us left, right, and center. It doesn't really happen in built up areas. So you, you you're very safe coming to the major cities. So you're gonna you're not you're gonna avoid all those uh those nasty uh, predators. So, oh, okay, those spiders um, are the reason that I will never go to Australia because I have <laughs> seen the pictures and those things are yeah, I, unimaginable. Like I would see one and burn the whole country. You, you, you'd have to go a long way to find one of those spiders outside a city. So that's that's my advice to you. Okay, well, that's good. I will stay in the cities then and carry enormous cans of Raid or bug spray. 
Although they probably <laughs> just beat me up and take my can. They they carry like switchblades. Well, right? I mean, I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't write that off. Um, unlikely, but uh, you can never say never. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry to stereotype your entire country uh, based on my inadequate knowledge. Thanks for joining us last minute. We absolutely appreciate it, Adrian. And hey, you know. Look, during the course of this podcast, Adrian has name dropped like a ton of uh, Steve DeBald and uh, Dan Morang and stuff. And every time it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's pretty good. And it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's with Blazer's Edge. So we are glad we have you too. Uh, check out Adrian's Angles every Saturday uh, and other stories in between. Uh, and we will see you all again next week.